This episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live is brought to you in part by Viewfinders Identity Search and Design. Your choice for web design, graphic design, and all multimedia development needs. Visit VFISAD.com and let us bring your vision to reality. Previously on Talk Time Live Exclusive. Now, you said you would do other things too. You also are a martial artist. You've been training for years. Uh, even have your own dojo, uh, Mo Martial Arts, I believe, correct? Yes, that's right. Very, uh, I love the logo, by the way. As a graphic designer myself, I, I do appreciate great logos, so that's a really good one you got there. Cool. Yeah, well, I'm glad I paid somebody else to do it then. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to the designer of that one. <laughs> really. yeah. um, can you talk, let's talk about what disciplines you're studying and you know, how long have you been training in the arts? So I started when I was 12 years old. I got uh, inspired by Bruce Lee oh. and uh, Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers. <laughs> And I finally convinced my mom to take me to the local Taekwondo school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've just been training Taekwondo for, uh, what, 11 years now? Yeah. Um, and wait, how old am I? No, 21 <laughs> years. 21 years. Holy cow. I still feel like young, but well, when I'm, you're, I'm an when old you're in man. The flow, when you're in the flow, you just, it, you, you know, tend not to focus on things like that. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> feel like two decades that I've been doing it. I, you know, it's just be- I'm become such a big st- part. Look, I'm 39 and I still get called a millennial. I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. You still, you know, you're still in the 30s. So we'll just say that we're, you know, we're, we're just in our 30s, which is all that needs to be said. There but you go. It's time. Talk time. Let's go. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk Time. Anime comics, movies and games that come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime comics, movies and games that come on and let's get it. Talk time. Live. Started in the 80s with Matt Cross. Dudes in the hood might have called that soft, but I carried that cross like Jesus did. Fast forward, I teach the kids to learn how to let go, live life, and show love to all things that don't matter where y'all from. And luckily, there's a show called Talk Time. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Dax kicks the facts on all the geek news, special guests. And unbiased reviews Suburban kids The hipster street dudes All can learn something new Me too I heard worse when no faith is empty I stayed the course So my haters tempt me Beep the podcast That'll make them envy It ain't too trendy It's ACMG Anime, comics, movies and games to Come on and let's get it Talk time Anime, comics, movies and games to Come on and let's get it Talk time Anime, comics, movies and games to Come on and let's get it Talk Time. Anime, live. comics, movies, and games to come on and let's get it. Talk time live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the Prime Show. I am your host, Xavier Josiah. Folks, I hope you are having a great week. We got a lot to talk about. There's a lot of news going on in the world of our favorite fandoms, including our talk topic today, which is not one, but two reviews. One being Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which you just heard one of the actors from the show that I interviewed. That would be Mike Moe. I interviewed him way back before he even knew he was going to be in a Tarantino movie, let alone a Marvel project as well. And we get to talk about all of the stuff that he led up to that time. So if you want to hear that interview and get to know all about Mike Mo, you could go to talktimelive.com forward slash exclusive and check out the full interview with it. I guarantee you're going to absolutely love it. And some of the past due things that we talk about now, which is insane. Like Jesse Smollett, is, it's just crazy, which I call him Jesse Smalls at the time. He was up and coming at the time. What can I say? But, you know, I'm very proud of him. 
And we're going to talk about his portray- his portrayal as well as all of the actors' portrayals in there. Uh, it's going to be an interesting talk uh, about that movie as well. And the other movie being Batman Hush, which came out recently. Got a chance to talk about... Uh, sorry, I got a chance to check that out. And we're going to talk about that as well. There's some interesting things as well. Both of them have something in common is that there is some there's some twisting around in both of those movies so we're going to talk about both of those and see which one worked and which one may have not or maybe both of them work but i'll let you know during that time but before we do that i gotta say uh you guys heard the last podcast the struggling select star podcast that i was doing uh i was like literally under the weather with some type of throat issue as you can hear i'm a little bit better i'll say 90 to 95 better and a lot of that possibly has to do to one of our acmg members that being kiana map dunn she actually had one of her game nights again and here in philadelphia we have board game cafes but the first one ever in philadelphia is in fact the thirsty dice which is down fairmont avenue in philadelphia and it's a really cool place we went there last time the first time was about like six of us that started this time it was nine we're hoping to see it grow and we're trying to we're trying to get these people paid because they deserve it they have a great environment they got over like hundreds and i'm not joking hundreds of board games there one of which there's a couple of marvel games in there one of them is the godfather too it's very interesting i don't know if i'll ever play that one but just having a group of people come outside of the internet and being able to enjoy each other maybe for the first time maybe again and just have a great time and that is exactly what we did and you know what that did people when you're outside and being online is one thing being online is cool but you lose context you lose the understanding you lose the enjoyment of really interacting with people from outside and i'm not going to discredit internet the internet or social media it, it completely but it, i think it really misses the mark of doing what it was meant to do and that was absolutely being social with each other instead it's done the opposite it's allowed introverts to hide behind the proverbial you know bushes if you will to it allowed people to be vicious without being seen you know because it's like things that you would never do in real life you would do online on social media uh it's just a lot of things like like a lot, a lot of trolling and everything i mean there are people trolling all the time and, and which the bad part is is like when people troll online it usually is there is an arterial motive to why they're doing it and we need to try to clear that up we need to stop that immediately and one of the ways is just getting outside have not being afraid to step in the waters of you know the world and just getting the chance to actually interact with people people that you never got a chance to see and meet and just have fun because the context is different from what you do online as opposed to what you do offline and i gotta thank her for that she had a you know she hosted a great night again uh shout out to thirsty dice they are a great environment it's a great restaurant um it's it's a board game cafe it's a restaurant they have really interesting great food kind of hipster like um they got their own ported sodas that they have and it's oh that the sodas are great like they it's not like they don't do pepsi or you know coke like uh products they do their own and it's actually really good uh let me see what would i recommend the nashville nachos is one of my favorites over there so they i mean they have some really great food over there but all of us there having a great time once again and we're playing games that we've never played before the the game tenders who are the like kind of the hosts of people they come over to you and they tell you 
they recommend games to you or if you want to play a game that you already know you could tell them that's just what we want to play they'll go get it for you or they recommend a game that you want based on the level of that you want to play or based on the amount of people that's there they know every single game that they have not like i said they have over way over we said 800 i don't think it's that much but i'm thinking at least maybe 300 that's still a lot and they got to know every one of them so we had a great time i mean i love it we're gonna come back i think maybe in the 30th of august which is awesome because it's gonna be right after all the keystone comic-con festivities i'm sorry festivities that i'm gonna be doing and it it, it was just a great time it it was a great way to interact and it, it helps when people are going through things in life the best thing to do is to be around people and have a great time and i think if you're one of those people who maybe battling depression or going through a lot of things you know or introverts you know just shy people this is a really great way i mean we'll welcome anybody anybody and all it doesn't matter what you are who you are we'll welcome you in and we're just here to have a great time and that's exactly what we did so if you're in the acmg facebook group and and you're in the philly area please i i highly recommend you come with us out there every once a month out there we're also going to try to do stuff at uh sarah green too and sarah green is thanks to uh, one of the people that was at the event they informed me that this is a place that i had no idea that it was around it's a park on a roof it's literally a park on a rooftop and there's a huge screen i noticed it now that i'm bike riding that is like right across from my eye view <laughs> right there and what it is is a, like it's a it's a state-of-the-art park with a huge screen they actually did a mario kart competition the other day and this this screen is like the size of you guys have watched like monday night raw wwe raw whatever like that or smackdown it's about the size of a titan tron so it's a it's an a ginormous screen like a, an arena stadium like screen and they watch movies they actually had like they play ferris bueller's day off or they, i think they're going to be playing it up soon and um they may be playing some marvel movies or something like that you know down the line but it's a great another great place to hang out we're just trying to build a community of fans and people that just you know we're the whole point of acmg in the first place anime comics movies and games the group was to create community not to have facebook bitterness or anything like that it was to create community not for people to you know be the top dog or to to shine out to everybody to enjoy all things anime comics movies and games together no matter who you are and we're trying to find more ways to do it and that's one of them going to outings you know movie outings is another one and then even still like you know keystone comic-con that's another one that's coming up on august 23rd to the 25th it's going to be a great event so i mean honestly it's just a great thing to do and i highly recommend no matter who our acmg members are in the east coast west coast down south whatever you know if you got friends that are in a group that are you know trying to do it just try to collect with them try to you know that's what it's about let's make social media what it was meant to be again you know and not what it's turned out to be due to the circumstances of everything that's going on in our lives and in the lives of our country right now you know this is what it was for i i'm not joking when i say this about over two years ago the environment of these of social media was much better and people were so down to do things and then all of a sudden two years later it's a little bit less from that but we're still we're still not giving up hope we've never given up hope you know and we're we're starting to do it we're, we're starting to shine it out so again thank you kiana and keep up the great work with that out well damn sure i'll support you through the end on this one um and everything that you got coming out that involves us all getting together and having fun so stay there i do want to mention one more thing before i do that before we move on and there's a i mentioned marvel games there's one called thanos rising 
that you know we didn't play that game but there, there was a couple that played it and just before we left I noticed it and I was talking to the guy uh, and his girlfriend about it and I'm like it, it's really interesting and basically I looked up on it online Thanos Rising is a board game that was created by uh, Marvel and another company that has Thanos going to and on search for the Infinity Stones so this is like Thanos Quest pretty much in the comic books but you're playing it in the game they actually have the Infinity Stones and everything and the object of the game is like one player plays Thanos and I think there's other players that are the heroes trying to keep Thanos from getting the stones the object of course is Thanos getting the stones and you have to defend it it's a really interesting game and I looked at reviews on it and it's it's like it's a really well put together game and easy to play game so I may may try to look for this game myself and uh give my own review and find out and even bring it with us or even have try to get a bunch of us to come down at thirsty dice and play it there so uh i'll look into that but that's awesome it's really awesome so yeah again people let's try to create more community in the world because we definitely need it we need to whatever bitterness we're going on in the world try to find ways out of it and we're there for you don't think that people are not there for you just we'll find a way Hope is not dead. So I digress. Speaking of all the things in Keystone Comic Con, I just want to make a reminder uh, announcement again. I actually, this week, I had a chance to be interviewed for a few uh, quotes and words uh, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, something I never thought I would actually do. This is, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, They contacted me about, you know, talking about first experiences at cons and what people need to look out for and i've been to a few myself and of course you guys know i've been to san diego that's kind of like you you don't get bigger than that uh and i still got to go to new york comic con which also is like you don't get bigger than that and uh you know you learn you learn a lot of things whether covering it from press from a press perspective or a fan perspective so i was able to talk to one of the uh, reporters there and um you know it will be on print. I think it's going to be on print or online. She didn't spe- uh, specifically say, but they're going to be working on an article. They're looking to come out with the article down uh, right about the time of the con, which will be in a few weeks. So I don't know how many quotes I will have in there. There are other people that she interviewed as well. Uh, as far as she, I think they got the, a few merchants, a vendor merchants there. They got a few people maybe from uh, from Keystone to talk about their, you know, their experience and behind the scenes things as well. So I don't know how much I'm going to be on there, but I will be on there. So it's awesome. I like to thank her, uh, the reporter for that, for, and, you know, calling me in. Uh, at, I believe Abby White is the name. Uh, yeah, her name was Abby White. Uh, and, you know, we got a chance to talk and we had a really great conversation in there. Uh, for those who don't know, the Philadelphia Inquirer is one of the oldest newsprints, still doing newsprints to this day. It's one of the, in, in the United States, in the whole country. Um, they're Pulitzer Prize winners, about 20. They've won 20 Pulitzer Prizes for some of the articles that they've done. It's a prestigious, you know, it's not just prestigious for the for philadelphia it's prestigious for the country like they've been around since the civil war that's how old that paper has been so to be anywhere part of that and to have that rather online or on print that to me is just it's a huge honor because i you know never in my wildest dreams that i thought that i would actually on air so i don't know if it's going to be online that's awesome uh if it's going to be in print that's awesome i'll buy like 20 copies <laughs> even if it's like one sentence but um you know it's, it's just awesome that i was able to talk about one of the favorite things that i like to do on air as well so i'll keep you guys posted on that as well as it comes out but this has been an exciting 
an exciting summer. Every year, I do something really cool and crazy, and I I look back and I'm like, how the hell am I top this? <laughs> it, it always seems to it always seems to do it, and this year definitely is no different as well. Uh, especially when the fact that I will be at Keystone Comic Con doing two panels, and speaking of the two panels, I will has. We've been talked about uh, doing a second panel for the Art of Street Fighter panel, and it looks like it's definitely a lock. I've been contacted by the people at uh, Keystone, and along with connecting me with the two people and the two guests that I can't wait to talk to and see and meet in person, that is Long Vo and Jeffrey Chamba Cruz, who are two of the most exclusive Udon artists from Udon Entertainment. You guys recognize them for doing a lot of artwork in, in the Street Fighter series and some of them in the games and some of them in the comics. So it'll be awesome to meet. I've actually had a chance to meet Longvo at San Diego Comic Con. I did some video footage of him drawing on one of the Capcom books that I did because if you buy the book, he actually, you know, does a sketch and he did one of Ryu. And like, I'm not joking, probably like about three minutes. I got to look back at that video footage. But it's it's gonna be an honor. It, I, it's really crazy. I keep telling people like the things that happen to me in my world. It's insane. Like I get again, Epcot Center brought a Naruto piece. End up you know finding Molly Flanagan. I brought that Capcom book and met Longvo. Now I'm gonna be interviewing him on a show and a panel. <laughs> and I, last year I just like just not even what I was even thinking. Just purchased a book bag that just happened to be an Overwatch book bag. And now I'm hosting the Voices of Overwatch panel with three of the members. This is just insane. I don't know what the hell is going to happen next year. If it all happens and if this is all, if it's, you know, this is it. I'm, look, I had a great ride or whatever, but this is pretty awesome. This is surreal. So that will be, look, we're looking to have that panel, the Art of uh, Street Fighter panel on Saturday which will be at 315, which is August 24th. So stay tuned. Uh, hasn't been officially announced yet, but that's the ideal date that we're working on. Uh, I've been talking back and forth with both Longvo and Chamba, and it looks like that's what we're going to be doing. We're setting up some things to happen, uh, what we're going to do, how we're going to set up you know, the panel. So we're hoping to do this for all you uh, Street Fighter fans out there. So definitely, if you're a Street Fighter fan, which I know a lot of you are in Philly here, uh, you definitely don't want to miss this because these guys, you, you guaranteed have seen these guys work, whether in, like I said, in comics or in some of the video games, Tatsunoku versus uh, Capcom, Street Fighter 4, Street Fighter 5. These guys have done it. They were the per people responsible for doing a lot of those. So you don't want to miss that at all coming to Philadelphia. And the fact that they're coming to Philadelphia is great because the only time I would ever get to see these guys in person would be in the West Coast. The fact that they're coming to the East, that's Honestly, that's really huge. That's really huge. I like that's one of the biggest artists that will be in Artist Alley as well as here in our panel, along with um, you know DMC Daryl, you know D uh, DMC Simmons. You know he's a legend. I can't wait to get a chance to meet him as well, and hopefully get him on the show. So we will see from this point on. Uh, trying to get these guys in and you know be a part of this whole entire deal. It's awesome. I'm looking forward to it, and. Uh, I can't thank Keystone enough and Reed Pop enough for these these opportunities. It's just awesome. Uh, the last thing, is that everything I got from here? Yeah, that's it. But also, remember, I will be doing the Voices of Overwatch as well on the 25th, which is Sunday at 1 to 2 p.m. with Fred Tatashore, Jennifer Hill, 
and Charlotte Chung. You guys know them as Ash, Soldier 76, and Diva. You don't want to miss that one. That is going to be a really, really good panel as well. Been looking forward to meeting Fred Tatasher for some time. I've seen him at uh, the Marvel panel at San Diego for quite some time. And now to be able to have the Hawk and Beast, who all, who he played on Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be so awesome. And Chronica, too. Uh, by the way, Jennifer Hell's Chronica on Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, two of my favorite games this year, bar, by far. Not joking, not being biased. They are. So I'm looking forward to that. But, folks, we got a lot more news to talk about, so let's not waste any time. Let's find out what's new in the world of ACMG. And now it's time to find out what's new in the world of ACMG. All right, so unfortunately, once again, I have to start this segment with some sad news, and it is another passing, uh, not as tragic as the Kyoto uh, Animation Studio of last week, but this is still touching and heartwarming to a lot of fans out there. Uh, Rusi Taylor, you guys may know that name. She is the voice of Disney's iconic character, Minnie Mouse. She unfortunately has passed away at the age of 75, uh, just recently, this Friday. And um, it was confirmed and stated by chairman and CEO uh, of Disney, Bob Iger, uh, who made the announcement just recently. Uh, Rusi Taylor, who, a lot of you may or may not know who was actually married to the late legendary voice of Mickey Mouse actor Wayne Alwyn or Alwine, I believe. And uh, Taylor is also credited for being the original voice of Huey, Dewey and Louie and Webigail in the original DuckTales, not the recent one, but the original one. So, I mean, and she also played in, you know, she played that role in all the roles like Minnie and all of those on Kingdom Hearts and just everywhere that, you know, they put Minnie or all or those characters in. She was there. That was her all the time. Not only that, this is another really sad uh, loss, too, for The Simpsons as she played the voice of Martin Prince. And that character has been around for like ever you know the simpsons has been out for so long you know unfortunately we lost another great character and i don't know if they're going to replace her uh replace that character or i don't know what they're going to do with that that's going to be interesting uh if you guys also know she played on jackers the adventures of piggly wink along with molly flanagan as annie winks fernando uh fernando toro and the mom character as well she will be dearly missed by many i mean she's pretty much as portrayed by the people who work with her as like the godmother of you know voice acting or just acting in general and fans all over she will be very missed that you know Minnie when you think of Minnie and Mickey they were just a great pairing growing up and you know people don't really realize like Minnie and Mickey I don't think they get the recognition that they did like years ago like Mario at this time, you know, the character Mario from Mario Brothers is the most known character in the world now. And Mickey and Minnie kind of fell back, but they're still iconic, legendary characters that for, for many, many years have, you know, been near and dear to many people in my childhood, especially. Um, in fact, because when you saw Minnie and Mickey, that was like the ideal couple. <laughs> that was the original power couple for kids. You know, whatever Mickey goes, Minnie follows. And, you know, Minnie was always the symbol of his inspiration and, and happiness. 
and it was always there it's just no matter what she was always there and you know there were people who have admitted in the past that they had a crush on Minnie Mouse you know so she was responsible for being that character throughout the years you know I bless her bless her heart and bless her soul rest in peace and paradise uh thoughts and prayers to all the friends and family that's including molly who worked with her and, and tara strong and all those characters charles alden who all spoke out on social media about their thoughts and you know of her and working with her you know it was a, i believe it hit them hard uh for what i understand i talked to molly about it and um you know online and and you know it really it really reached out to her you know it was it's just I it really I know it hit her hard from there, you know, passing away at 75 and such. But with that said, I always like to see light and, and at the end of the tunnel, per se, you know, that cliche. And I say, you know, yes, 75, 75 years. But for her, it's 75 years of making people like me smile, of, you know, giving us a reason to show to see happiness, you know, helping us grow up with our childhood for that long for 75 years you're responsible for that and to that i say thank you and rest in peace for that so uh you know i don't know what they're going to do as far as the new mini or whatever like that or or any of the characters that she's portrayed over the years but we'll see um she will never be forgotten in this case much like we don't forget mel blank much like we don't forget uh wayne alwin or alwine i gotta remember how to pronounce that name forgive me but you know many of the this is the one thing i i do want to say you know Whenever a voice actor passes away, it's one thing to do that, to you know, that they pass away or something like that. But I always hate, I, I really, I cannot stand this, when they take a character who's done the, who's done the voice for a long time, who's been iconic for the voice, and they replace them like they did nothing like they're like all of the work that they did was for nothing. I can't, I, I hope studios... And this is at a time where people, you know, studios don't think that, you know, these actors, these hardworking actors don't have a popularity of their own. Like, you know, these people are, especially this day and age, I think, and I think, I, I do believe Japan is credited for that because in Japan, those actors who portray like Sailor Moon and uh, Goku and all those are those guys are rock stars over there. But you know the people who are responsible for doing the original voices over there, those people are rock stars, and they're treated as such. I've seen red carpets where like people will go wild over the fact that they're seeing the voice actors of these shows. They they're treated like primetime television act live action actors over there. So with that said. I, I'm now st- we're now starting to see the popularity. I mean Molly Flanagan everywhere. Um, you got Yuri Longthaw. You got um, tons of talent. Kyle Haber, um, Sean Schimmel. You know all those guys. They're now really popular. Troy Troy Baker, Nolan North. All those guys. They're popular now. They're extremely popular. Kevin Conroy. Y- you can't replace these guys. These guys are now legends. These guys are now recognized. So I. I really hope that they will preserve their voices for eons ahead and let these people be recognized for the legacy that they did because this is very important. It, it, I, I'm now I'm hoping that that's a thing now that they're starting to do. And with that said, you know, I hope they never replace her voice. Let keep what she has there and just move it, keep it forward from that point. I mean, I, I have a deep respect, especially for the guests that have been on. Had I had the honor of having on my show, these guys work as hard as anybody even if not harder 
you know, losing their voice sometimes to do what they do to make us, you know, to give us the entertainment that we love and, and, and desire. And I just hope that they, you know, just preserve these voices for all time. And if they got new voice, if they got new, you know, projects that they're doing involving some of the characters and these characters and these people aren't around, that's fine. Get it, you know, hire a new voice, but leave respectfully leave the old ones. You know, respectfully, I just think that it always pains me to see that. So that's all I got to say about that. But speaking of voice actors, of course, we're going to segue over to Seth MacFarlane. And look, there's no there's there's no hidden, you know, thing about it. I am a huge Seth MacFarlane fan. And this just superseded my fandom for him. What I've read about this uh, from TMZ, actually. Seth Granite. Uh, a uh, a wish for a kid. You know, there's a bunch of wish networks out there, um, and, and organizations out there that grant wishes for kids. You know, Make a Wish is like the biggest one. Is the first one actually, but there are others out there right now that are doing just as much. And Seth works alongside the Kids Wish Network, which took the time and opportunity to meet with a young fan named uh, Chance Young, who has cerebral palsy and suffers from what is called Rohad. And, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He's, you know, he's disabled, but he is very coherent. He's very cognitive. He loves Family Guy. So his wish was to meet Seth MacFarlane. And did he ever meet Seth MacFarlane? This right here. And I'm before I even say this, for anybody who ever tries to throw shade and hate on Seth MacFarlane, despite, rec- you know, not recognizing or refusing to recognize what this man has done (laughs) what this man has done for a guy who's been canceled like multiple times and able to succeed out of that and persevere only to have a you know a like an animation empire if you will and tv show empire you cannot hate on this guy especially after what he's done here so along doing this he chance uh you know, is like I said, he's a huge fan and not only got to meet Seth MacFarlane, but to spend time with Seth MacFarlane and his animation studio in LA. Seth also created an illustration, a cell, I believe it's a cell illustration for Chance, which shows him, they drew him in the room with the Griffins. And it's a awesome picture. It's so beautiful. It's a, you look at this and it just warms your heart just looking at this. And it's a picture with him and they're all sitting on a, you know, the iconic couch and they're watching TV and Peter's looking, you know, at the TV pointing at something that was funny. And all the other characters are looking at Chance, like enjoying himself. It's, it's so great. It is, it's just, it's, it's so touching. Um, but that just doesn't stop there. He also called other cast members, Mila Kunas, Seth Green, to talk to him on the phone as their respective characters of Meg and Chris. That, if that isn't awesome enough, Chance and his mother also got a chance to voice the characters of Chris and Lois in a special video clip just for them. It just does not stop there. On top of all of that, Seth looked out for him and further... He looked out for him further, basically, when he allowed Chance and his family to fly in his private jet to help Chance uh, Chance's anxiety attacks. When he he you know if he goes on a normal plane, there's a bunch of people there. He he you know he gets a a sense of anxiety there. So to help that, to help remedy that, Seth decided to fly him home 
or send him home flying in his own private jet to help chance his anxiety. Along with that, and as a just an extra, extra, extra bonus, he also gave uh, Chance an, a luggage amount of swag from Family Guy, American Dad, and the Orville. I don't want to hear a damn thing anybody tries to say about Seth MacFarlane after all. Unless, unless this dude gets caught in some type of stupid scandal or something like that. That's one thing. At this point, I want to hear it. This man has gone above him. And I look, the fact that he did a Make-A-Wish thing, and that, I don't care what anybody say. They can say it's publicity. They can say it's PR. You don't have to. There are actual celebrities out there that are not doing this. That, you know, feel that they don't have to do this. They they are enti- They have a sense of entitlement. Uh, they're selfish. They, you know, they got a lot of money and they don't do anything with it. There are other people who do things privately. Then there are other people who do want to take on this. But the fact of the matter is, it's a choice that they choose to do. And if they choose to do this, regardless, it's still helping somebody out. And this helped this kid. This is a dream. This is a look. I dreamed of always being a fly in the wall, being in the studios as they're talking about this show. I'm living vicariously through Chance Young <laughs> right now. And I'm not mad. I'd rather if I had a choice. I had a choice. I would rather him go, and he had to pick one person. I'd definitely rather him go than myself to go because, you know, this is a chance out of a lifetime for a guy who's going through so much in his life. And to get that type of moment, you don't want to you don't want to rob somebody of that at all. So to that I say kudos to you, Seth McFarlane, and the cast who also, you know, chimed in on air. This is awesome. At this point, I don't want to hear a damn thing about anybody saying anything bad about Seth McFarlane. Hell of a talent, great guy, successful dude, multi-talented, and altruistic. I'm giving him that card. He and by the way, yeah, because he never. I don't know how they got the information, the uh, the information of how this happened. Maybe uh, the kids' network, um, which network did, but we, you know, TMZ got a hold of it. But I don't think he would have cared. I, I don't think it wasn't for publicity because he's never really done anything like this before. We haven't heard him doing anything like this before. So I, I just think it was just fantastic. You know, shout out to them. I'm a, I'm a faithful Seth MacFarlane fan for life. No doubt. So let's go to some anime news real quick. Uh, Toonami, they got a big, 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 big coup. Uh, as you guys remember, I talked about this new anime called Fire Force, which is on uh, Funimation now. Well, just got an announcement just yesterday, and it actually premiered yesterday on Toonami of all places. Cartoon Network and Toonami actually got the rights to air episodes of Funimation's latest, only three weeks old series, Fire Force. This has never been done before. So when they got Dragon Ball Super and they got, um, was it My Hero Academia and Baruto and all this stuff, that... It took months for them to get those episodes before they got it now. This is the fastest grab of a license for a uh, for the rights to a anime that they've done to date. Like, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Episode three of this series literally just aired yesterday. I mean, it wasn't yesterday or Friday. It was Friday. And they are now just airing the first episode on Toonami. So now that's crazy. <laughs> that's I don't know what what the deal was within that I, I didn't get a chance to research that but that's awesome they they premiere it premiered last night 12 uh 12 midnight eastern standard time 
and you got to see the first episode. So, like, if you want to see the, you know, current episodes and you own Funimation now, uh, you can check it out there. But you can also watch Toonami if you don't have it. And I highly recommend it. It's a great series so far. It has a really cool, uh, what does I want to say, um, Full Metal Alchemist type of feel to it right now uh it involves a team of firefighters with with fire abilities to try to you know uh extinguish and you know get rid of all of these humans or people that are just bursting into flames all of a sudden and they're trying to find out why is that happening along along with that the lead character i forgot his name i you know lost those notes from last time but the lead character actually is also trying to find out who uh, what killed his uh, parents or his mom, at least. So you got that storyline and this other storyline going on. But these guys are awesome. The animation is awesome. The character design is awesome. It just this looks like this is aiming to be one of the new hottest animes out there. And the fact that Toonami grabbed it that quick, that tells you a lot about that. And we and we in the ACMG Facebook group have been talking about this anime since it started, since it's been announced. So I am looking forward to it. it, it it's pretty cool. But kudos to them. Uh, now I hope that the other thing is that we get the other JoJo uh, episodes because I just the fact of seeing the outro with Jodeci on air. I've seen this. Somebody uploaded this, but we haven't seen this. The one after the um, Diamond is Unbreakable series. So I'm hoping that they grab that one and get that one up and running by the time fall comes. So we'll see. Another side note as far as Toonami, um, they are alerting. Uh, fans that about the tragedy of Kyoto Animation Studios, which is pretty awesome. They also have um, displayed their GoFundMe page on there. So they, you know, a lot of support going on all around the world for that tragedy. And it is a huge tragedy. It's just, just absolutely awful. But it's really cool that Tsunami is really um, going out of their way to do that. And they understand, they know the fans are out there and they, you know, this is what's being talked about in there. And, you know, kudos to them. They're, they're reaching out to their fan base and their demographic really well. I really like the way they handle things on that show, on that, uh, that, uh, network over there. So, uh, shout out to them on that. So, uh, some Marvel news, and this is huge. This is official. Spider-Man Far From Home, you guys know it by now, has reached a, the highest grossing of any spider-man movie ever this also means marvel they reached a billion dollars by the way i forgot to mention that part but this also excuse me this also actually means that marvel will marvel studios will uh have the rights to spider-man for future movies and projects uh there was a deal apparently that went on uh with as far as sony and as far as uh what is it sony and it was um Marvel Studios that when they first started that having this agreement that the, the idea for Far From Home if Far From Home reach it and, I, and actually I funny thing is that I found this out by watching the D.L. Hughley show and then followed by I found the article that they were basing it on that talked about this and on the show they were talking about in 2015 Sony and Marvel Studios signed a deal with the stipulation being that if Marvel Studios didn't make a billion dollars sony would once again gain control of the character which means the horror of new spider-man films from sony giving the past history of sony and i won't i'll take out sam Raimi's first two movies from that point everything after that was just a disaster and i'm going to add venom into that and i'm probably going to add all the other movies that they have with that too they have not done 
Spider-Man Justice at all since after three. And I still think Raimi could have did better at four. I think he could have learned this lesson, but they never gave him a chance to, and that's their fault for that. But they've been trying to come back and, you know, from the trenches of that, and they have not. They have not. Like, I'm sorry, the Amazing Spider-Man series was not as good. Like, I don't even watch it now, especially now that Homecoming and Far From Home is out and all the things that involve. It's hard for me to watch those two for those two Amazing Spider-Man movies. I can watch the Rami movies. Uh, but it's hard for me to watch the Amazing Spider-Man movies and enjoy them as much as I enjoy Far um, Far From Home or Homecoming or Civil War or any of the, you know, the Infinity uh, movies, which, by the way, Endgame is coming out this Tuesday, so count that down. But I'm so happy. We're, I mean, we're, I almost was about to go to the movies like 20 more times to make sure they meet that. But shout out to everybody who did go to the movies multiple times to meet this because that means we get to see more Spidey and we get to see what the hell is going to come of that end credit scene that we got with that we all saw. So I'm looking forward to that. Maybe like phase five, we'll see another one and see what happens from there. But I, I thought that was great. That was just absolutely great. And uh, shout out to Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige and everybody involved for making that happen and, and all the fans as well. So take that Sony and Amy Pascal. <laughs> so from there, um, last thing I want to talk about on this segment is my thoughts on the Mr. Rogers biopic starring Tom Hanks called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, I, you know, I got to admit, I got to admit something. I respect Mr. Rogers. I used to watch that show, but I never really got into that show until or appreciated that show until I until recently like literally I never really understood I don't think I was even old enough to understand or people made me understand or I even focused to understand the things that he did and I really appreciate everything that that man has done or tried to do I, I put him in the same helm as Stan Lee like he 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 did some things during a time where people were not doing things where like I'm told like civil rights type of situations and um you know trying to be the every man to every man and woman no matter what color creed or whatever that you are he tried to make a better world for everybody and condition the minds of the youth to be better than what was going on at the time that he was there and I think he succeeded to some extent but now we have uh this trailer with Tom Hanks on here and it looks it I, I, I got I, it looks great uh and while tom hanks will no doubt have a really good performance i mean it's tom hanks you know regardless he'll do wrong i do gotta say the man while he does have the mannerisms down it still seems a bit off mostly because of his voice which doesn't carry the same feel and sound of uh, familiarity I'm hope I just I just butchered that word. It doesn't sound as familiar as you know Mr. Rogers himself, and and that's possibly because I've watched the documentary, and I watched that documentary that movie that documentary movie really really good, which is a I highly recommend it. But um, when he portrays the character, it feels like it's Tom, it's just Tom Hanks imitating him and not becoming him. You know, because once like you become the character, like say, I'll give an example can I say uh Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg for instance that's one um Jamie Foxx as you know uh Ray Charles really channels it in really really channels it in I even give credit to Will Smith when he played Ali you know those were kind of portrayals but I 
I, I mean, it, it just I, I think the voice just puts me off. But that's not to say that he's not going to do a great job because I think because he he got the mannerisms down and such. I think that's what's going to lock it. I just you know. It, it, I think because of the voice, it doesn't suspend my disbelief, despite the fact that he is doing all the signature traits that Mr. Rogers have done. Uh, in some cases, I feel like another actor could have possibly played that and probably played that well with the voice. Because when you listen to it, it's like, oh, that's just Tom Hanks. It doesn't sound like he could change his voice to sound exactly like Mr. Rogers. Uh, but it's awesome. I think he's got a lot to do with this project, too. So that's why I think, you know, that's happening. With all that said, the movie looks good. And I think that uh, it's, it'll be an f- absolutely fine tribute to one of the most influential icons in our childhood, without a doubt. I highly recommend, though, watching that fantastic, heartwarming documentary uh, that came out in the movies a while back. I got a chance to see it. It's fantastic they cover everything from everything that he's done based on the time and era that it was in the 60s 70s and like i said he broke barriers man like uh just one of the actors who um was african-american and you know this was at the time when racism was at its high in his in his mid 60s late 60s uh going into the 70s and he there were he did segments with the who he was an officer by the way too the cop was an officer and they decided to you know share it was a hot day the the premise that it was a hot day and he wanted to you know he he was keeping his feet wet trying to keep cool and the the officer comes in and decides to join him and you got a you got a black man and you got a white man enjoying a cool off together outside and 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 sharing you know conversation with each other that was a that was a, 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 a like a big thing back then because of that. You know, it's the same thing as when like Stan Lee did his soapboxes and talking about, you know, racism and all that stuff and, you know, the ignorance of it all, you know, stuff like that during the 60s and coming out with the X-Men and doing all, you know, it's, it's in the same boat. And when you see the, the trailer of the movie and if you've watched that bio, that uh, biopic, not the biopic, but the actual, uh, the biography of that, you see the footage and everything that, that it matches up. It's just the voices are different. So it, it's, but I highly recommend checking it out. He, he was a game changer. He was a game changer. I see what he did. And we need, I would love to see another Mr. Rogers in this world. I would love to see another Stan Lee in this world because we need people to have this type of conversation. And he, the way he did it and with kids that were watching and the way he did it, like when the, uh, I think when the Vietnam War came out, he addressed it in his own way, in a way that kids can understand or at least have that form of conversation with family. You know, the family the family is watching it, uh, watching him do it, and then he's doing it, you know, talking about it, and it, it addresses the issues that's going on. He did it in such a great way that it allows a really innocent type of conversation with family. It's just amazing what he's what this man has done. So, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. What I really am going to be interested in seeing is if he's going to be nominated for an award for this honestly i'm just looking at just looking at the trailer alone i I, like i said he's going to perform this great but the accuracy is to me is going to be off because of the voice because it sounds like tom hanks it just sounds like tom hanks just imitating that dude but uh, we'll see. We'll absolutely see on that. Folks, that will do it for this version of what's new in the world of ACMG. We're going to take a break. Come back and do not one, but two reviews. One of them of Batman Hush and the other of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Review. We'll do that right after this. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dax Xavier Josiah, the host of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the podcast. You want to catch up with all of our podcast shows and hear from some of the hottest names in all of anime, comics, movies, and games, such as... This is Miley Flanagan, the voice of Naruto. This is Stephanie Shea, the voice of Sailor Moon. This is Ruben Langdon, the voice of Ken Masters and Dante from Devil May Cry. Hey there, this is Kyle Abair, the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter V. This is Chris Battle, character designer of Teen Titans Go! Here's your chance to check out all of that and more on Talk Time Live. TalkTimeLive.com provides all of our ACMG content with new and previous episodes, exclusive interviews, articles, and much more. Visit TalkTimeLive.com and let us help you learn to let go, live life, and love all things ACMG. Talk Time Live! Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mike Moe. You are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Os. Do it. And now it's time for our talk topic of the week. Ready? Wait! All right, folks, we are back with our talk topic of the week. And it is our review, our two reviews of Batman Hush and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're going to start with Batman Hush because I do want to talk about that first. And uh, because I think I got a lot more to talk about with. Uh, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So Batman Hush is the latest DC animated movie that come out. And this one is about Batman who sets out to learn the identity of a possible new villain. And I say that on quotations, possible new villain named Hush, who created chaos not only in Gotham, but in Bruce's past as well. So Batman Hush also picks up directly after the events of uh, the death of Superman and Reign of Superman, which I thought was cool because there, there's really no real connection for it because the death of Superman was b- way before the new 52, if I'm correct. And then Batman Hush, well, no, they both are connected because I think Batman Hush came out before the new 52 as well. So, I, but I, I don't remember if Hush came out or Jim Lee started working for the company after the fact. So the timeline, I got to figure out the timeline there, but I know, I think Hush came out later and the, yeah, it, it did come out later because Jim Lee wasn't working for, um, Jim Lee was working for Image at the time when Bat, uh, Death of Superman came out and then he worked for uh, DC shortly after and he came out with Hush as one of the first ones so I believe that was his debut so that's what also made that one so special because it it was like the debut of Jim Lee working for DC I, I believe as writer and artist of course and it's one of the most heavily loved sagas in the Batman and DC and comic book universe uh, you know industry right now so this basically, it was supposed to tell the story that many have read in the comics. It did not exactly do that. It went a different direction there. And I, I it's going to be interesting to see. There's a lot of people who liked it. There's a lot of people who didn't like the direction that they went with it. But we're going to talk about it. Let's start with just the standout performances, which really, am I, you know, after watching it, this movie itself was just another stellar movie was it the best eh, well not exactly the best batman movie i've seen um the performances there weren't really anything standing out and that's not saying anything bad because that's actually just it's as good as what you expect from all of the actors that normally portrays these actors uh you know you got jason o'mara returning as uh the 52 version of batman and i gotta stress it out because how they did it, if you guys remember way back in uh, Flashpoint, which they kind of switched and everything changed, Kevin Conroy 
was the original Batman, and then when the when all the universe changed from what the Flash did, it turned into uh, Jason O'Mara version. So they kind of just switched it out. But you know, Kevin Conroy still reprised the role from time to time in different movies and whatnot. Uh, from there, but you also had Jennifer Morrison uh, as Catwoman, who also did a phenomenal job as always. Like like they they're so used to doing these characters now. It's just. It's as good as you would expect it to do. Jerry O'Connell, who actually is one of my favorite voices of all of the DC Universe, because I grew up with uh, with Jerry O'Connell. And if you, like I said, if you hear him in interviews or you hear him in other shows, he does not sound like what he sounds like in here. So the fact that he can change his voice to sound really masculine and heroic, as you would expect from Superman, to me, that is always like amazing to me and then you also got Rebecca Romaine who returns as Lois Lane as well so and many others who are reprising their roles as well they all did a stellar job so it's like nothing really stood out to me this time that that, that doesn't normally stand out to me on other movies so it, it's just it was just going with the motion here but in a great way so um I can tell you when as far as you know favorite moments the only ones that really stood out to me was like Stuart Allen because there was the scene in here the idea is that you know, Catwoman decides that she wants to now work with Bruce. I mean, well, more like work with Batman and team up with him and change her ways to some extent. And that's the thing that goes on here. So they become a partnership, a duo, if you will. Not exactly sidekick to sidekick, but, you know, hero to hero in a sense. But they also start dating as well. And there's a, eventually Bruce reveals himself to her completely. And... This is another thing that I think was around, too. I don't think Damien was around during the Hush deal. I think he came, like, years later after that. Like, during, yeah, obviously, because he wasn't around until the 52. I'm, again, I'm not a DC reader like that, but I believe he traces during the 52 and after that, or the Rebirth as well. So he's around during the Rebirth saga as well. So he was never around during when Hush came out, but for the dc animated universe he's there but there's this one little moment that's really funny with him talking to bruce while he's driving to over to see selena and his own son damien his son the heir to the league of assassins if you will gives him the talk like the talk like the talk that your parents give you when you're dating somebody like damien is amazing like uh, Stuart Allen, who plays the voice of that character, he does him really well. I, I I think because of Stuart Allen's portrayal of him made me love that character so much more because you get to visualize what he is. He's very, I've always said he's kind of Vegeta-like, you know. It's, it's, it's like Bruce Wayne had a child with Vegeta, you get Damian Wayne. But the fact that he gave him a talk and said you had, you know, make sure you use protection and all this stuff. And I'm like, yo, this dude is so he, he's so extra, right? <laughs> so that was that absolutely is one of my favorite scenes of the whole entire thing. The other one is, too, is like near the end, because they part of the reason of the, you know, the debate between, you know, Selena and Bruce is that or Catwoman or Batman is that she's all about just like ending the situation so if you got an enemy you don't want to keep this enemy to keep going some people are like you know they, they don't want to see the terror continue so they're going to end it in any type of way but batman has a bushido the code of bushido if you will which is like you know honor anybody and see you know there's good in everybody so i want to make sure that you no matter, no matter how many times that you do crimes or whatever like that 
you know, I'm going to save you because you need to be saved. And that goes for everybody, even the Joker to some extent. Um, there is a time where he's almost losing his cool because there was a setup situation where he was supposed to, uh, you know, Thomas Elliot, Dr. Thomas Elliot, which is Bruce's best friend, which in, in the comics is Hush. In this version, he dies. <laughs> That's the big twist that's one of the biggest twists in here is that he dies early and you're like okay is this real did this really happen uh did he die and it may it's made to look like the joker did it which then leads bruce to going insane because he's he killed his he killed his best friend one of his old time best friends this best friend who he said we need to hang out more because we don't get a chance to hang out as much as we used to and they were trying to redevelop their relationship their friendship only to see him shot what it was supposed to be looking like, what it was supposed to look like, it was the Joker that killed him. And Batman nearly beat him to whole, uh, high hell and death. And the Joker himself ended up saying, you know, if you're going to kill me, kill me for something that I did. You know, don't do it like this. And even Gordon was like, I don't want you to die like this. You need to be the hero that everybody needs. And that kind of toned him out. At the same time, like, the, the character Hush just happened to, like, set up all these elaborate plans. So, you know, to to throw Bruce off of the scent of, you know, the situation. It wasn't until Batman figured out who it was. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, we'll, we'll go back into that in a second. But, you know, that was a big throw off there. The, let's talk about the animation quality of the movie. This, to me, was also one of the glorious parts of this movie. Was We all know DC, for, as far as America... And American animation, DC has absolutely the best. You know, there, there's no, there's no debate. They have the best animated movies and TV shows in America, bar none. And this kind of furthered it up because I believe that this is Batman Hush and how really fans are really connected to this story and how much of the fans of the story. I think they went out of their way to give this movie a close to as possible Jim Lee look and feel as you could possibly have, adding some new shadowing and lighting to the uh, character models and designs, as well as some frames added during fight scenes to give it more of a fluidity when throwing, you know, fast-paced punches and kicks. Like, the fight scenes are really good. And they, they've been great for some time. Like, if you watch uh, Reign of Superman, uh, Reign of the Superman, the fighting was there, really well there. If you watch um, the Death of Superman, like, the doomsday fight my god i think it's crazy i think that that was the biggest that was the best fight since um the fight between superman and apocalypse on uh batman superman apocalypse which i've always loved that fight scene but i think the doomsday and and superman one took it further and they're continuing on here but i just noticed that the frames are there's a little bit more frames to the animation in this one here also uh, noticeable is the, the close-ups when Batman, uh, which, you know, has a little bit more detail and shadowing. If you guys are fans of Jim Lee, if you're comic book fans that are fans of Jim Lee, you know his art style consists of a lot of lines and, you know, to create shadows and, you know, really intricate lines and, and stuff like that. Like, oh God, and again, if you ever go to San Diego Comic-Con and you're a comic book fan, Go to Jim Lee's panel. I go every single time that I go. I do not miss it. It's like going to a Rolling Stones rock concert for me. <laughs> to see him draw some of the characters that he does, 
And it's so awesome to see him do that live and in person. I, it, it's if you're a comic book fan, you got it. It's just it's so fantastic, man. Um, so I mean, yeah, I think they went all out to give tribute and deservedly so because Jim Lee really changed the game for DC. Like just being there, just drawing, just drawing anything for DC. If you're Jim Lee and you work for a company, he's going to elevate your company just by drawing a variant cover, which now that's what they call them. <laughs> Back then, it was like when Jim Lee used to draw covers on, you know, comic books, but never draw the actual comic book. We used to have a saying that, you know, we got Jim Lee <laughs> because, you know, he draw this elaborate variant covers and then you would get the cover and then find out later on he never drew a damn uh, panel in there. It was drawn by somebody else who are possibly good, but nowhere near as good as what you expect from Jim Lee. So it was kind of a turnoff. So now they call them variant covers. That's the actual saying for it. I love that term. But while they could never truly bring that art style to life, uh, you know, in, in the way that fans would love, I thought they did a pretty really good job attempting and therefore stepped up the quality of the movie big time. All right. So let's talk about this twist. <laughs> I wasn't exactly thrilled by the fact that they not only killed, uh, you know, the, the original character of Hush, uh, you know, which was Thomas Elliot, but they made Hush the Riddler instead of Thomas Elliot. I don't know what went into that. I don't know, but you know, Thomas Elliot was the real man behind the Hush character because it was supposed to be, from what I understand, is that like um, Elliot was very mad and jealous that he never, you know, he screwed, he, 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 you know, wasn't there for him all those years, and this is him taking revenge. So, for some reason, instead of, you know, telling a story that new fans can understand, they decided to go with making the Riddler hush and making this elaborate situation, this plan of, you know, manipulating Poison Ivy and, you know, who manipulates Superman and, and Catwoman, which, by the way, I could have sworn. And it, again, I'm going by. I'm going by full animation, animated series here, but I always thought and was told that Poison Ivy could only, you know, control men because of their hormones and not the pheromones situation of a female. Like women couldn't be tamed up, but in this movie, apparently she can control both female and male. So I don't know if things changed at that point. I, again, I haven't followed the comics especially as far as Poison Ivy, but, you know, maybe things have changed. But I thought that was really noticeable there that, like, oh, she can do that now. So, you know, maybe somebody from the DC Universe readers can tell me and inform me that, you know, she's up to Annie and, you know, her toxin is now controls anybody, which I can see happening. I can see them writing that off. Eventually that would probably have to happen. Um, but, yeah, that was a noticeable thing. But, you know, going through all these ropes and then find out that it's, like, what they consider in the movie a C-lister and the Riddler becoming hush it kind of diluted it really diluted the whole entire premise it's like oh come on are you serious so we don't get a new villain to really marvel at no, no pun um but you give us the riddler again who just you know all who did all this because he was losing his mind he got a i guess a lobotomy or something and he couldn't think the way he did and batman caught on to it when he um you know figured out one of the clues that he did so it really it, it really pretty much it was it, it kind of turned it down so overall batman hush was good but not as far as not nowhere by far as good as like 
any of the Batman movies of the past. But it was still good. I still enjoyed it. Don't get me twisted. I just felt like while the presentation of the movie was great, I think the idea of changing the story around kind of diluted the movie and the chance for new fans to never, who've never read the actual classic saga to see a brand new villain in Batman's role gallery. And it's because of that that I have to put this grade down to a B at best. And, it, you know, just a, it, to a B because the thing that saves it is the, act, is the uh, acting and the actual animation quality. But the story was good until they did that. And I don't I hopefully we'll find out what went into them changing that before. And I know they changed some things in there, but that was a big, that's a big twist. That's a big thing. Like I, I if I'm a new fan, if I'm an, if I'm an, a casual fan of DC and I've heard so much about this, which I have, I would like to see what makes Thomas Elliott such a big deal. And it, that made this story a big deal. So I got to believe you're a huge fan. If you read that book, and this is really now getting me the chance to finally... I do own the book. I never read it. Because, um, again, I'm most more a Marvel fan than DC. But I think now is the time I'm going to actually read it and follow up with this and see and see if uh, what fans are going to think of this. But I can only imagine if you're like a fan who read that book and loved that book, cherished, you got to be upset of that. You really got to be upset. And I, I can't blame him for that. But I give it a B. I, as a casual fan, I enjoyed it for what it was. But I know, for, I know from just what I know of the story from what I've seen in other in games and whatnot that, you know, that has hush, the hush character in there that, you know, he's a, he was a big deal. He was a major big deal for people. So you didn't get the payoff. So I understand that. So I give it a B personally. Other fans may actually go down a little bit further, maybe give it a B minus or a C at that. But for what it's worth, it's a quality looking Batman film, but not by far the best. I could, I can go down the line of what's the best one is. I don't even think this is going to make the top 10 and Batman has a lot of movies. I don't think this is going to even make the top 10 as far as Batman, best Batman movies right now. So there you go. So let's go to the other one that we're going to talk about. And that's once upon a time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film focuses on 1969's Los Angeles and where everything is changing as the fictional TV star Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and longtime stunt double Cliff, also fictional character Cliff Bo- uh, Booth, played by Brad Pitt, make their way in, uh, around the industry that hardly recognizes them anymore. And like they, basically, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth are character actors from a old you know, an old Western from back in the day. They were highly famous for that. Uh, Cliff Booth played his stunt double for that. It was funny because they were saying that they looked just like during a segment on air. They were doing uh, like a really quick old school, old timey black and white uh, interview. And they were talking about the stunt double and they talking about they look the same. They look nothing alike. I just thought it was hilarious that they did that. But that's classic uh, Quentin Tarantino there. Um they didn't make, you know, they basically, this movie is also based around the time and place where the Mason family involving Tex um, uh, Watson, uh, Susan Atkins, and Patricia uh, Krenwinkel, under the direction of Charles Manson, murdered Sharon Tate, Jay uh, Sabring, and a few others in that horrible, horrible, legendary death that just shocked and, and put a pause on everybody back then. Um, according to Wikipedia, uh, legendary music producer Quincy Jones had actually planned to visit that home 
and that very evening, but declined, unbeknownst to him, that the Mason family would eventually be there. So, I mean, seriously, we would have lost Sharon Tate and, and all of those other people there, but also music, music legend Quincy Jones. Do you understand? Okay. I can't even stress to you if we would have lost Quincy Jones that day. We, and all the music that we would have not had today. And I'm sorry, I had to say this. Um, that would have been including... Even though this, you know, the situation and the controversy, that would have been including Michael Jackson Thriller, Bad, um, Q's Juke Joy, everything that Quincy Jones had done would not have been done had he gone. That, it just shocks the hell out of me. That really shocks the living hell out of me. If that is absolutely fact from Wikipedia, I can't, Quincy Jones is responsible for not just Michael Jackson's music, but a lot of people's music. Legendary, legendary music producer. That shocked the hell out of me. I just when I when I saw that when I read that and I was like, oh my god, half majority of my playlist of classic songs from the eighties and some of the nineties was in fact from Quincy Jones. We would have not had the Secret Garden. Do you know how many babies were made because of that song? <laughs> okay, I'm like legit, no joke. He's made some baby making songs for people. People, oh my goodness. That, I mean, and, and not saying that anybody else's life wasn't, but that one right there. I mean, Sharon Tate alone, she was an up-and-coming, you know, actress, and she was pregnant at the time when they killed her. I mean, she was like nine months pregnant when they murdered That was just it's horrible. Anybody, man. Just absolutely horrible. So, let's talk about standout performances. Uh, to me, it wasn't many. I mean, Sharon, um, Sharon Tate was played with Marco Robbie. I thought she did an okay job, but it didn't stand out to me, you know. Is I, I give that the same case as I would give Tom Hanks. You know, it, it you know it was Marvel Robbie. When I heard her voice, I felt like I still heard Harley Quinn. I thought she did a great Harley Quinn, but I still felt like I heard the voice of you know Harley Quinn or Margot Robbie in there. I didn't exactly hear Sharon uh, Shannon Tate, but of course I haven't watched a Shannon Tate movie before, so I don't know for those who watch it, but. You know, I, I can only go by what I heard. I, I've heard her had that tone and, and mannerism before. But she did kind of play a little bit of a, you know, open-minded, I'll just say that, you know, person. And I guess that's what Shan, Shannon Tate was. But Leonardo DiCaprio uh, as Rick Dalton, uh, I loved, loved, loved his portrayal. And I don't go see too many you know, Leonardo DiCaprio movies. I've seen a couple. I have, I, but I see what everybody sees in him and why he's such a big deal. Cause his role in this was just crazy. Uh, you know, he plays Rick Dalton as a sort of washed up leading man, uh, of Western TV, you know, shows now looking to find himself again in Hollywood and try to stay afloat because the idea apparently is that when shows get canceled, especially comes Western shows, the lead actor of that show, as explained by Al Pacino's character, uh, you know, the characters of those shows wind up becoming the bad guy of another show for an up and coming, you know, for pretty much an up and coming new actor who plays the lead role in a Western. Now, the funny part about this is that when he when he explained that, when he there was there was a scene with where Rick Dalton and I forgot what um, Al Pacino's character is in this. But there's a scene when they're in a restaurant and he's a, he plays an actual famous director and. They're having this conversation and he explains this. And I felt like, I really felt like they're talking about the wrestling business. That, that's exactly what happens in the wrestling business. You know, 
Uh, not in the sense that like when somebody gets canceled, they kind of elevate the guy who was the leading guy to you know be the bad guy to help the uh, to help elevate the new lead uh, actor. But in a sense that there's a part of that that's reminiscent of what happens in the wrestling business. You know when a guy, you know when a guy becomes of age or whatever like that, and you know he's been around for a long time. You know they get a new guy to come in to you know come in and the old guy helps elevate the new guy by losing to the old guy because of the prestige of what the old guy has. You know, if you if the new guy beats the old guy, then it helps elevate him to an extra. I'll give you an example. Brock Lesnar to Hulk Hogan. Brock Lesnar beat Hulk Hogan, dominated him. Um, Brock Lesnar dominated The Rock at SummerSlam. You know, those examples. I mean, he like literally dominated him. And I give you another example, a real world example of Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar beats um, you know, Randy Couture. <laughs> Legit. Like that wasn't that wasn't pre that wasn't um, you know, fake or anything. He legit beat a legend and he became the bigger guy, the new guy in the block. So, you know, that all that kind of happens like there. It just pretty much sounds the same thing from here. So but watching Rick the character Rick Dalton, you know, try to handle that, and he's always drunk. He's Every scene that you see him in, he has a glass with him. He's like, he can't operate unless he's drunk. At least he thinks that he can't operate unless he's drunk. So I pretty much, I thought that was really interesting. I thought Leonardo DiCaprio did a great job portraying this character and, you know, going through it, becoming somewhat of an emotional wreck as things go on and thinking that he's in control because he's drinking all the time. So Brad Pitt plays as Cliff Booth, which is actually Rick's driver and friend, but also Rick's stunt double when they filmed the old Western series. But, you know, as the series ended and, you know, Rick became, you know, just a side character, pretty much uh, Cliff just he didn't he didn't do any more stunt work for. Well, he did some stunt work at a time, but he after a while, he only thing he did was just drive around Rick because Rick pretty much got into too many accidents because he was under the influence. So he decided to be his personal, you know, driver, his, you know, his, his, uh, his wingman, pretty much. He, he literally was his wingman and they were really good friends and they had a really good relationship. He trusted, he was his most trusted dude. He's kind of like the Arn Anderson to Ric Flair. That's exactly the best way I could put it. Uh, so you had that and I loved the way that he handled it. And he also, there was also a situation where they claimed that, uh, Cliff, Cliff actually, killed his wife and got away with it in the sense that, you know, he, you know, in court, he was, uh, he was, he was, you know, proven innocent or proven to be able to get away with it in some case. Now, in some cases, I thought that he was going to somehow, some way he was going to turn out to be the, uh, the Charles Manson character, but it's not, it was just something totally different, but that was the case. But they, it was, that was a whole nother thing right there. Then... We got to hear the guy that I got a chance to had the honor of interviewing that you heard in the clip that you you can hear on uh, talktimelive.com forward slash exclusives. Mike Moe. Mike Moe. Got the opportunity of a lifetime once again. He, I mean, you guys know him as Ryu on uh, Street Fighter Assassin's Fist. And then all of a sudden, years later, he's in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Not only is he in, is he in a Quentin Tarantino movie, and I'm not being biased. This has been said by many people, and I agree. He stood out more than everybody. I think he he kind of did. 
He was only in there for like uh, he was there for a say he got he got a lot of lines for the segment that he did and he was he, they showed him every so often uh, throughout the movie, but not doing you know he had one really big role with Brad Pitt and it was this really cool scene that really stood out out of the whole entire thing, and I remember there were times uh, who can I who can I say Dwayne Johnson the first time he ever got on film was the um, Scorpion King. You know, the Mummy 2, the Scorpion King. He was only in there for like five minutes, literally for just five minutes. And that elevated his career to what he is now. He, his presence and everything really stood out right there. I don't know if Mike Moe's career will get to that level, but damn it, this movie really put a shine on him like he wouldn't believe. Everybody's talking about this him his portrayal as uh, Bruce Lee and I mentioned I talked about uh, Tom Hanks you know becoming engulfing into the character of Mr. Rogers I talked about Margot Robbie as uh, Shannon Tate I've watched I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan I love it not just because of his actorial uh, abilities his philosophy his Jeet Kune Do philosophy his Taoism philosophy it's he's he was an awesome guy, also a very charismatic and arrogant dude as well. But if you listen or watched all of his interviews, you see the swag in the dude. You see how really uh, how much of a cool cat he is. Like Bruce Lee can be invited to any of any cookout ever, bar none. Um, one of his first students was African American too. So I mean, like he's been he he's been around the block. So, but Mike Mo. Who, if you heard, if you heard the the soundbite, I mean the uh, segment, the clip of the segment that I did, he's a he's always been a big fan of uh, Bruce Lee. He's mentioned that, so for him to be able to play Bruce Lee now, he did he did not waste it. He sounded, he acted exactly like Bruce Lee. Like he, I mean, they, he looked like when he had the glasses on, especially he looked just like him. He acted just like him. He sounded just like him. I mean. They couldn't have cast a better dude for the play this role. I mean, they possibly could have, but he, they managed to give it to Mike. He knocked it out the park. And I was so gleeful because I'm like, damn, I interviewed this dude when he played Ryu. And he played a great Ryu. <laughs> so, I mean, this guy, I know he, he, he had a pretty much an up and down type of situation. He, I mean, he played an empire. As Steve Cho, he then got the opportunity to really shine, um, you know, with the indie project of uh, Street Fighter Assassin's Fist. And he shined there and people started taking notice. He then ended up going again. If you listen to our interview, we talked about him portraying in a Marvel film. And I think now that I know that he was uh, he said that he was trying to get a role in a Marvel film. And I think it might have been Iron Fist. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I got a feeling that's that was the one that he was trying to go for. But. He wanted up being Triton from uh, Inhumans, which, as you guys know, didn't fall through as successful as you would think. But if, out of all that, he somehow landed this role as Bruce Lee, and he ran with it big. He did not waste his opportunity at all. He's been talked about immensely in reviews and everything. This guy, and and and, and even the cast, Quentin Tarantino praised him. Bru- uh, Brad Pitt praised him. Uh, and for great reason. <laughs> so I, kudos to him, man. I'm so, I couldn't be so happy and honored to have him on the show, but I couldn't be more proud to see him in his, his life shine. I mean, like he's just been doing it and hopefully seeing him on this, hopefully will get him 
in even bigger roles from this point on because that was amazing. That role, that Bruce Lee portrayal was just spot on. So the last person I say would be a standout performance, believe it or not, I, I thought I saw her on this on the trailer, and it is her, Julia Butters. If you guys ever watched the comedy on ABC, American Housewife, she plays the little girl Anna Cat, which is kind of the you know, I forgot she kind of has like I don't know what kind of condition she has, like a kind of OCD condition or whatever like that. But in this movie, she plays an actress, or what she considers an actor, uh, Trudy. And I'm telling you, she, her talk during, the, during that scene with, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio and having a conversation with, she was the more mature one of the two in here. And she, she was demanded respect. She was playing a, uh, a method actor, if you will. And because on the set, she wanted to be that character. She didn't want to be. Any, I was like, wow, I don't know how old she is, but this girl, this young this young girl carried herself like a 20 or even 30 year old, a, a seasoned actor or actor. And I was so amazed by her performance with somebody with the caliber of of Leonardo DiCaprio. It was just absolutely amazing. It, I mean, you, she stood out like gangbuster. And the fact that she was able to not only do this and knock this role out, but to do it in a Quentin Tarantino movie, I mean, whew, my goodness, man. I, it's, I, I can't say enough about her. Um, she reminded me of how Kirsten Dunst did in an uh, interview with a vampire. And... You know, when she did that role in interview with a vampire, her her uh, her career just went like completely a up direction. You know, the you know, the glass ceiling was broken with her when she did that role at such a young age. I'm hoping that Julia Butters go through the same thing, man. It, it's just really great. Favorite moments. Favorite moments. I'm going to say that the Julia Butters scene with uh, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is definitely one of them. But also um, Rick Dalton. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio, as he throws a rage of anger at himself for getting wasted and messing up uh, lines during that actual scene that they did on there, which led to, you know, um, Julia Butters having that conversation with him and everything. It was just that that had to be my favorite entire scene when he did that scene through the whole entire movie. Bar none. Um, But he goes into a rage and he's talking to himself and he's threatening himself and he's you know, talking about he's drinking too much, he's messing up lines, he needs to get focused, and he's trying to, he threatens himself to make sure that he gets focused. This scene reminds me of when William Dafoe uh, talked to himself in the scene of Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man, one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie when he, uh, you know, he gets possessed and, and such with the gas and everything, and he now thinks that he's, there's another person in the room, but he's actually talking to himself. This was kind of the same type of performance that I saw in that, and I was I really admired that scene. I'm like, this is why Leonardo is who he is, and why everybody loves this dude. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I, I grew up watching Leonardo DiCaprio when he was a kid, and he was on like Growing Pains and all these other really uh, shows as a kid actor. And to see him like this, whew, this this dude is breathtaking. He, he absolutely again, Mike Moe is Bruce Lee uh, with the spot on performance, probably the best in his career, um, but also the very scene with him and Cliff 
you know, doing a sparring match with each other, you know? And I thought that was pretty awesome as well, showing that him and Cliff are having this really cool, you know, thing. You know, Bruce is kicking him, doing his uh, flying kick. And then, to everybody's surprise, we didn't see this coming, Cliff ends up, you know, he knows martial arts himself, and ends up in a situation where he maneuvers and counters Bruce to the point that he throws him, almost like a judo style, he throws him into the side of this blue car with this huge ass dent, and they're going back and forth fighting until uh, uh, Kurt Russell's character actually stops him and stops the whole match. So we never really get a who got who won up the other because every one of them kind of won up the other person in some sense. They both got a, you know a little bit of a lick into each other. So it never stops. So that always it, they leave you with wanting more from this situation because it was like how would this end? <laughs> so you got this fictional character character playing against Bruce Lee and doing this. It was awesome. It was absolutely fantastic. I love the scene because everybody in the theater when they saw that and he. And it was just such an impact of uh, Bruce hitting the car. It was like, boom. <laughs> it was like, and the crowd, and all of us in the crowd like, oh, damn. It was like that type of thing because we didn't expect it. But I thought it was great. I thought they did a great job in that scene. Uh, just, just absolutely awesome. Uh, I want to take note, too. The reason why Bruce Lee is in this film, and I'll, this will lead into other conversations about maybe why people some people just a minority of people may not like the film i think when you watch this type of film when you watch a quentin tarantino film there there are some expectations one of them is violence that's something that was not exactly in there there's moments of action and suspense and violence but not as much as what you see in other movies but i'll talk about that later on but the uh if you do your homework about the um the manson murders and all the things that led up to that and stuff like that it's noted that Bruce Lee was in a movie because he trained Shannon Tate for her role in the movie The Wrecking Crew. And they were friends with each other and they knew each other. Like Bruce Lee, if you guys remember, Bruce Lee trained a lot of people, one of which was Shannon Tate. The another one was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, NBA legend. He had a chance to be trained with him for a role that he did in a movie as well. So uh, this was another one. This was right after the time that Bruce was, uh, this was shortly after the time that Bruce played Cato on a Green Hornet and that show, you know, did, you know, did its uh, time and whatever. So he was still in Hollywood trying to, you know, get his name mentioned and known out there. And he was working and consulting in Hollywood as well at the time. So that's where, why he came into the point and Quentin, I guess, Felt that it was a great to add him on and to find somebody because he was a pivot. He was kind of I want to say pivotal, but he was a significant role in the story of the Manson murders and, and whatnot from there. So um, then, uh, of course, you had that. Um, I talked about the Julia Butters thing. Um, also, the scenes where they CGI'd and replaced Steve McQueen with Rick Dalton because uh, they were talking about how uh, Rick was supposed to play. Uh, the role uh, in The Great Escape, the role of Steve uh, got in The Great Escape, which, you know, if you guys seen the actual movie The Great Escape, Steve McQueen has that role. It was supposed, they, they, there was rumored that Rick Dalton was supposed to get that scene and it kind of lit a fire and Rick Dalton mentioned it, to which Rick was like, no, that never really happened. But they show scenes of him actually being in that movie or um, auditioning for that movie or whatnot or whatever. So that was an interesting thing right there. I love that. Um, another thing is the final film performance of Luke Perry 
as he played the character Scott in that really pivotal scene in the Western scene where, um, which leads to Leonardo or Rick Dalton actually uh, getting raged out because he kept messing up lines. So uh, it was really cool to Luke Perry there. Uh, quick note, for those of you who don't know, his son is actually, whose name goes by the name Jungle Boy. He's a professional wrestler. Luke Perry is also was a huge wrestling fan and supported his son. His son is now contracted for the new AEW wrestling uh, company that will be premiering on October 3rd uh, coming up. And he's one of the biggest stars that they have in there. He actually did a tribute to his father. In Hollywood, they have the billboards of all of the characters. Uh, you know, Leo's character, Brett's character, um, you know, Shannon, Margot, Mike Moe has his own billboard as well. I mean, like Quentin Tarantino really did it. You know, he, he looked out for him and really put him in a uh, limelight right there. It was really awesome that he did that. But also Luke Perry as well, uh, which is pretty cool. And Jungle Boy climbed that billboard in honor of his father and took a picture of it right there, you know, showing his, pr- his pride for his father. And it's also noted that Luke Perry would also go to almost every wrestling event that uh jungle boy would attend as well and as well as other ones that he didn't attend like he was really a big fan of that too so it was really great to see him one more time is you know luke perry is just loved by everybody and uh it'd be it was it's so sad to how he uh actually is going so i'm also interested in seeing what they're going to do to tribute him on 90210 when that comes back as well so we'll see we will see um the twist at the end i don't want to go too much into it because i know people actually want to see this movie or wonder what happened with this movie but much like how you in 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 tarantino fashion when he's basing his movies off of things that happen in real in 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 history there's always a twist to it and just like you saw in inglorious bastards which was like a fiction loosely based on reality so is this movie and what you think was is going to happen in this movie there's some alter there's there's an alter, uh, alter direction to what happens in the movie. Now, I won't actually say uh, what happens, but I, I I'm going to what I'm going to say is I am very pleased with how they did it uh, as well and what happened with this thing and and and, and it, it was really interesting take on what happened at the very day of the Manson murders right there. So um, be interesting to seeing. I think the the people. That family of Shannon Tate actually did see the movie. I forgot whether they approved of it or not, but I know this was, they're still, you know, hurting from that situation. And, you know, the fact that Charles Manson is even still alive and, or was alive for that matter, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It was really crazy. But overall, while this movie was not the best Tarantino movie made, but it still was really good in my opinion. Um, Strong performances, standout talent, and, a cool altered story based on the most memorable and tragic moment in 1969 as far as pop culture in Hollywood at that time. This movie had a lot to offer and appreciate uh, despite the fact that the action and violence was subtle in comparison to other Quentin Tarantino uh, movies. And I think I've heard that some people didn't like the movie and I think what I understand here's, here's the thing and I guarantee you I could put money on this. Some people came in thinking that they were going to get this Kill Bill uh you know, the Sinful Seven is, um, you know, what you expect from Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and all this stuff. No, this was more of, it, it, it chimed on 1969, an era where things weren't that violent, but at the same time, um, 
it was a bit subtle. It was, it was more, it, there was more of a narrative and storytelling and character developed type of thing in here. It didn't do the timeline thing that Tarantino does so well that Marvel tried to do with the comic book series like Civil War II and all this stuff, but that's a whole other thing. But um, they did, what he did here was just like from start to finish, you know, storyline of everything that was going on in people's lives at the time leading up to the day of the Manson murder. And while it did lack that, I still felt that it was very strong portrayals and stories and, you know, character uh, driven storytelling in here. And I thought that was really good in here. And then there were some standout performances, like I said before. You know, you, you, what you expect from Brad Pitt and what you expect from Leonardo DiCaprio, but also Mike Moe. I think this is going to be a really big deal for him. And Julia Butters, that the girl is going to go, I think she's going to get more weight. I think both of them should get way more. Uh, you know, roles at from this point on. This is it's really going to be cool. So, if you, for people who haven't read up on the situation of the 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 massacre that happened back then and the tragedy that happened back then, you're if you're coming in just looking for violence and action, all out action, start through finish. No, you, then you're going to be disappointed. I, that's not what you should be coming in for. You're coming in to find out the intriguing story of how everything came about. If you came in to see the murder of Shannon Tate and all this stuff, you're psychotic and you need help. <laughs> that's what I, that's the thing. And I think that's what everybody was wondering about, whether they're going to actually do that or show that. Um, I won't spoil it, but you'll just have to see it for yourself and see how they do it. But I thought what they did, they handled it really well uh, in this case. But yeah, you got to take it for what it is. And it's not going to be about violence. You have to read it for what it is. And it was just, a, it was telling about a story and timeline. You're just checking about how these characters are, you know, you know, just, 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 you know, developing within the times that they are at and what is going on in their lives at the time. I thought it was pretty cool. It's not a movie that I'm used to uh, checking out, but, you know, for the most part, I enjoyed what I saw. I really enjoyed what I saw. And I got to see one of the biggest things was see Mike Mo portray Bruce Lee. And I think all of that combined, I, I really enjoyed it. So if I'm going to give this a grade, if I'm going to give this a grade, I'd probably be a B plus. Like I said, it's not, uh, this movie is not meant for, uh, to be an action film entirely, but the strong character driven periods, uh, the period piece that wanted to tell a story, what should have happened using fictional characters leading the path. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. So I give it a, a B plus. So I would definitely recommend going out to see it, but you need to see it under a different perspective. If you're looking for what you saw from Reservoir Dogs or Kill Bill, especially, or um, the Sinful 7 or 8 or whatever that was, or Django or stuff like that, you're not going to get that. This is a, he went for a total different feel and direction, and I thought he did pretty damn good with it. So uh, I would recommend going out of the way to see it, but you just need to have a different perspective and outlook when you go see it so folks that will do it for this edition of acmg presents talk to online thank you guys so very much as of next week it's going to be august we're counting down to the days of keystone comic-con making their sophomore uh you know attempt to wow us this year at keystone comic-con so i am looking forward to it i'm going to be a part of it go out of your way to check it out i hope you guys will come and see me there with some of the actors from uh voice who voices the uh overwatch game that will be fred tattashore charlotte chung and jennifer hell you guys are going to enjoy it definitely and especially and again i've seen fred tattashore before he's a really cool uh dude and the voices that he does and how he does he's very mel blank like in a sense that like if you've played ultimate alliance 3 and it didn't realize that he was both the hawk and beast that's how good he is 
so you can't tell the difference. It's just so it's so cool. I'm, I'm going to ask about that too, but um, you know, go out of your way to check that out. If you're an Overwatch fan, you definitely want to check it out. I'm going to be laced up representing Overwatch, representing a whole bunch of other things in Philadelphia. You'll see. But um, I'm ready for it as well as the art of Street Fighter with Longvo and the Champa. Can't wait for that. I'm a huge Street Fighter fan, as you all know. Uh, just. I, just from an artistic standpoint, I'm a Street Fighter fan. In effect, I'm doing a panel for it. Awesome. So stay tuned for that, as well as every other thing that's going on. For Harry Potter fans, there's going to be Harry Potter things going on. Star Trek fans, they got something for you there as well. Um, just a lot of things. John, John Carpenter is going to be there. Horror fans, you, you they, they got you looking out. Hip-hop fans, Daryl Simmons is going to be there. The legendary DMC is going to be there. Uh, you know, as a comic book, uh, you know, under the comic book, Artist Ali. So go check it out. If you ever wanted to meet the legend himself, go out of your way to check it out there. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to make sure this is damn awesome. Uh, ACMG fans, if you, you know, check it out, go there, support them, support. And if you want it to be bigger, and here's the thing, I got to say this too. There are people who are, you know, wanting everybody to be there. Tom Holland, uh, Robert, Dett. first of all, do you know how much money it costs to get those guys to come to any event, let alone ours? It's not to say that they won't or we can't get that caliber, but this is their second show. You can't, and, and I mean, you could tell when people don't understand how things work in the industry when they ask really astronomical things like that. It costs money to do that. If you were, if you were the one behind the scenes of that, you would understand that. But these guys are working hard to create something new, and as if you keep supporting it. It will get bigger. If you want it to be as big as New York Comic Con, if you want it to be as big as San Diego Comic Con or Dragon Con or any of those cons, you have to support it. So if you want it, if you put into it, they will give you more. They are working hard to give you as much as possible here, as much as they can. Trust me, if you work behind the scenes and I've been around when promoters are trying to create these events like this, it's not all easy. Things happen. Situations happen. You know, you wouldn't do any better. Or if you can, you know, definitely do it. But these guys are doing a hell of a lot. So they're giving us a pretty good damn event. Uh, I say a great party for all things anime, comics, movies, games out there. And again, let's see what they can do for uh, this year. I think I think it's leading up to be a very fun event. Once everybody gets there, I know they're going to have a lot of fun. So keep it up. Let's bring it on. And uh, I look forward to seeing all you there. Next week, Select Start. I will be reviewing Kill a Kill If. And maybe the Ninja Warriors, because that was supposed to come out this week and it never did. So I've been looking at information on why it didn't come out, because it was supposed to come out the same day that the one in Japan come out. And it did come out there, but it didn't. So I don't know what's going to lead into that. But I've read some articles that said the 30th. So we'll see. The 30th also being the day that uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame finally come, releases in digital, by the way, too. So, yeah, I know there's going to be a lot of people binging on that all day, whether we're going to be watching all of them or just watching Infinity Wars and Endgame just to put them all together. That's what I'm going to do before I do the ultimate and watch them all all over again leading up to that. It's going to be great watching the entire Infinity Saga. So, folks, that will do it. And then next week, I... What am I doing next week? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Oh, I can tell you what. I may actually check out and review The Boys because the new... um, Amazon series that's coming that, that uh, came out, the superhero series, the comic book series that came out. 
it looks like it's going to be some sort of a like uh, Watchmen type of show. So maybe I'll check that out and review that next week or any uh, type of topic that I'll come up with next week. But it's getting down to the wire. We're going to do it. Thank you, everybody, again, for all your support here on Talk Time Live and supporting the show and listening to the show. Um, shout out to everybody who uh, reached out to me and said that they brought a pass, a badge for Sunday just to see my panel. I'm really humbled by that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm just want to have I just absolutely want to have fun doing this. So uh, let's get it doing it. Let's keep it growing and keep it growing at all times. So uh, check us out. You can follow me at as Dex Xavier Desire on Instagram. You can check me out there. You can also uh Listen to this episode and every single episode on TalkTimeLive.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean as well. Pretty soon, hopefully Spotify will be the newest addition to that too. So stay tuned for that. Uh, You also want to check out all the interviews that I'm going to have, which by the way, speaking of which, I just forgot that just in. I am working on getting one of the people behind this year's Keystone Comic Con to come on, which I believe we're going to be planning to do this week. I'll keep you posted. So there will be, there may be a Talk Time Live exclusive for that to let people know what's going to be expected this year at Keystone Comic Con. So stay tuned for that and much, much more. So um, again, uh, you can check us out all there. If you want to listen to any exclusives of Mike Moe or any of the people the biggest names in all things anime, comics, movies, games, game developers, all that stuff. If you want to listen to all of them, you could go to the exclusives page on TalkTimeLive.com or you could type in directly TalkTimeLive.com forward slash exclusive. Not with the S, exclusive, just singular. Uh, you could type it in there and you'll see all the list of all of the people. I still got to add like Yacht Club Games, their interview on there as well. Uh, I just added the, the latest Molly Flanagan interview that I had from last year on there. Uh, and Probably more to come from there as well. I, I also got to add the Kevin Conroy press interview that I did last year on there too, which would be like the only video interview that I did on there. So you could check that out for all the exclusives and then just keep supporting us and we'll keep, you know, not letting you down and provide you all of all things ACMG. So ladies and gentlemen, that will do it. On behalf of myself, this is Dax Avery Josiah saying, learn to let go, live life and love all things anime, comics, movies and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. I am out of here. Take care and I'll talk to you guys this week.